What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Uh, Derek, how are you on this Monday? Doing well, Sean. Pretty busy day already with some uh, couple press conferences and some breaking news, but a uh, lot to talk about, and that's always good to start the week. It is, and, and you texted me earlier, and you said Kentucky football always wins the off season. <laughs> and, and and not and not saying that in a bad way. It's it's a, from a positive PR standpoint for the program. The last three years, Derek, well, even before they were winning football games, Kentucky football had a way of making everyone in the fan base feel really good about the next upcoming football season. And this is even more important to me, given that there was kind of some stagnant, you know, feelings there with when they were struggling, getting drilled by Alabama, drilled by Florida. Kinda of was looking for anything to kind of hang your hat on going into next year. Well, you you make a change on the offensive side, and then you get a lot of talent coming back. You put those two things together, and there's a lot of hope, and uh, there's going to be just as much buzz I think going into next year as we had kind of going into this year. Yeah, I mean, you, you go all the way back to obviously when Stoops was hired. That's that's a natural. Uh, any fan base is excited when there's a new coach in there, but. Even after that two and ten year, I mean, they do the Super Bowl commercial where they put a lot of those new recruits up. It was the highest ranked class they'd ever signed at that point. Um, it seems like every off season there there has been something in your right. Pretty much starting with, I mean, even going back to Josh Allen, Mike Edwards, those guys announcing that they were coming back. Um, there there has always been something in the off season that's really gotten people fired up. And this year, it's it's already been a lot. I mean, even before the season technically ended, you had Liam Cohen's hiring. That that's obviously gotten a lot of people excited. Um, and then ever since Saturday, if you want to if you want to define the off season as the past two days, um, you've already had Josh Ali announce that he's coming back. Uh, I got a whole list of these guys written down here. Basically, though, just to sum it up, you have six six seniors who decided that they wanted to play one more year. And then the big news today, which is what we're probably going to lead with, I'm sure, is Darian Kennard. Uh, he said that he had a second or third round grade from NFL scouts, but he's decided he wanted to come back. And that is huge uh, for next year's offensive line. And then to include with that, I mean, Luke Fortner, he's one of those six seniors who's already announced that he wanted to come back. So you went from looking at an offensive line that we thought coming into the year might have to replace four starters. Well, you've got two starting guards back and well, at least one of your tackles and a center and Quentin Wilson who started to break into the rotation this year as a guard. So all of a sudden that offensive line looks like it could be a strength next year as opposed well, to a weakness. Exactly. It, it, to me it changes the whole just the whole outlook on that side of the ball given a new offensive coordinator, 
They're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. I know Joey Gatewood played some this season, Derek, if he ends up being the starter. It, it wasn't a ton of experience. So now you at least have some experience there on that offensive line to you know some continuity that you can kind of build around. Uh, out of all these names, though, I think we all assumed Darian was leaving. No, you and I talked before the season started, and we were just like, no, that, that, that dude's an NFL tackle after this season. Huge news that he's coming back. But when you look at everything overall, when it just goes by position and guys that can make an impact and, and need, is Josh Ali the biggest name, though, just given the position that he plays and that Kentucky, you really don't know what they have moving forward. You know, they got some good guys coming in as freshmen. They have some that's in the freshman class now that we expect to take a step forward. But just given experience at that position, how, how big was Josh Ali's decision? Yeah, if it's not Kennard, I would say Ali is is the biggest decision. I mean, to have a guy who I think like pure talent wise, like where they're gonna end up getting drafted, like Kennard's a bigger deal just because he's a true next level talent where I don't know that Ali for sure is an NFL guy at this point, but maybe with a good year he could become that. But his importance though to that room is I think equally as important just because if there was a focal point to, to the offense, if there was a guy that they tried to force feed this year, and obviously they were terrible throwing the ball, but he was the guy that they really wanted to get the ball to. And I said this on the last episode with Kalen, like he he is to me, Josh Ali could do his best work if you get some other true threats around him. If he's your second or third option, and you know he's inside and can get open, I think he could be a great great weapon for the next quarterback. So I think some of this this year is going to be dependent on getting some help around him, developing some other guys, and having some other people that they're comfortable getting the ball to. And I think Josh's numbers, uh, he had, what, like 49 catches this year, or technically credited with 49. I mean, a lot of those are probably on that jet sweep that he gets credit for. <laughs> uh, I think all four of his catches technically in the ball game were, were on that jet sweep. So I think he'll definitely be in a different role next year. I'm really excited to see how Liam Cohen decides to use him. I, I know Josh is very excited about this change. I think he's going to be highly, highly motivated coming into next year. And I think he I think he could have a really good year again. I mean, led the team in catches well, this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did next year, but I think it would be very beneficial to Kentucky's offense if there is a, a more even uh, distribution of the ball yeah. next year. I mean, I hate to say and speculate, but Derek, I think that if Kentucky hadn't made a change on the offensive side with an offensive coordinator, I think Josh Ali's a guy that would have been playing elsewhere next year. Yes. He probably would have used that year, but it would not have been at Kentucky. Uh, right. I'm not going to say that Josh Ali's a star or going to be a star wide receiver and just go you know, bonkers next season, but I'm still holding out on him, Derek, because it's not like Kentucky's just had some you know, passing attack or a quarterback that was very accurate at throwing the ball down the field or being an accurate passer over the last few years. So I, I think we really don't know what any of these guys can really are capable of at that position. I just, um, to go back in time, I, and we could go down a whole rabbit hole of this, but I, I remember talking to you about it back in 2019, and I really just feel like had Terry stayed healthy that year or even Sawyer to that for that matter, just the way we would have viewed guys like Josh Lee would have been a lot different because I think that offense was poised to, and Ada Grant, too, for that matter, because I just think they would have had the pieces to have had a good passing offense that year. And it didn't work out that way. And now it's kind of led to this kind of domino where Ollie's coming back and things like this have happened. But uh, I really think that he, in a room that we kind of wonder 
how much talent there actually is. Like I, I truly feel like Josh Ali is an SEC talent and yeah. could help other teams in the league. So well, you, you got to always want, want that talent to come back. And like I said, I just think the motivating factor for Josh coming back and, and his connection with you know potentially Bo Allen as a quarterback, I think is going to be really beneficial to the 2021 team. It, it is wild how it all plays out, isn't it? I mean, you, you mentioned yeah. that the offense looked like it was going to take a step forward last year when Terry was healthy early in the season, then the injury happens, and you can kind of ultimately connect it to Eddie Grand kind of being out the door now, Derek, because the offensive struggles this season, not being able to develop wide receivers, kind of put everybody behind behind the eight ball for a season. Uh, but we're here, Liam Cohen's coming in going to try to move this offense forward. I definitely think it's going to be a change in philosophy. Uh, Vince Merrill had his moment uh, Saturday in the in the Tech Slayer Gator Bowl. Uh, it worked out, and uh, that's obviously been a really positive thing for the program, Derek. I, I've never really put a ton of emphasis in winning bowl games, but it felt like that winning this one was actually kind of important just for the mental side of things for this program. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, 4-7... and seven. And it doesn't sound too good. Uh, five and six, like, I think I've already made this statement before. Like, I, I wasn't ready to sit, sit there and say Kentucky would have been an eight eight and four team or whatever had they had the regular schedule or whatever. I mean, maybe they would have been. We'll never know. So I try not to operate in that kind of area. But from a spin perspective, like, PR-wise, like, yes, when you win the bowl game like that, you beat a team that was ranked in the top 25 you can kind of spin it, I guess, that way. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, Sean, and this is not to be a – I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer on a, on a really big day, but one of the things I was thinking, I was starting to see my Twitter feed fill up with, oh, Kentucky should be ranked preseason next year. They should I was just about be to all this and that. that. They're going to be very good. Like, <laughs> I, I want to remind us, like, I think, we, I think all of us in media and, and even fans, like, I think, I think we had some blind spots this year. Because the same talk was going in last year, like 2020, it's, you know, Terry Wilson was going to be back. They had all these running backs, four out of five starters, a deep defense. Like, there are still some big question marks for next year. Uh, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. We don't know how Liam Cohen's offense is going to translate early. I mean, h- how long does it take them to adjust to that? If they can get a few more pieces back on defense, I'll feel really good about that side of the ball and what they can be. But uh, I think my main takeaway is that, like, with, Canard's decision and Fortner's decision, Devontae Robinson, Josh Ali, like they're getting to a spot where if things can click for them, they could be very good. And I think for up until these decisions were made, I would have probably said that like it might be a bit of a rebuilding year. But I, I think they're putting the pieces around. Like I guess what I would say is I think they're close to having top twenty five talent. But if if this preseason team for Kentucky couldn't crack the top twenty five in the AP poll prior to all the teams that were left out once the Big Ten and Pac-12 weren't included. Like, I highly doubt that voters are going to put a Kentucky team without a quarterback and things like that uh, in the top 25. Well, if you're Mark Stoops, why would you want it? I mean, why yeah, would you want to yeah. be in the top 25? You, you saw this year it kind of, you know, that that's where they were. Now, their teams weren't playing, so I, I doubt that they would have been in the top 25 had everyone, you know, from the Big Ten everything been a go from the beginning. But – if I'm Mark Stoops, I kind of want it to be outside the top 25. You know, use that chip on your shoulder and just continue using it. But definitely a lot of positive news. Josh Pascal coming back, huge. We're still waiting on decisions yeah, well, from. Yeah, that's a really big one. 
we're still waiting on decisions from Jamin Davis, and then there, I'm sure there's some other things that'll trickle on out too, Derek. But uh, the program's definitely in a good spot for a season that had so many, what's well, so many downs, not very few ups. They found a way to come out of this thing with a smile on their face and some positivity, not only for the football program, but for the fan base as well. I think the fans will actually be engaged with football going into next year too. And what we need now is we just need a normal football season is what we need, where fans can return to Kroger Field and and pack the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a scientist or epidemiologist or whatever sure? can predict it. I'm sure uh, <laughs> not my expertise, but I, I just kind of think that uh, it, it would surprise me as well. So if they don't play a full schedule next year, I don't, I don't know about the fan attendance, but in terms of, I mean, once the Mac ended up playing this year anyway, and these, I mean, FCS schools played too, like I just don't see any reason basically why they couldn't play a full schedule. So that's going to change that dynamic of some things for sure. And it'll feel like a more normal year. Like it was really hard for me to judge this year and even kind of get excited about some of the, some of the matchups and things just because you had so many guys out in some games, you had games canceled. It just wasn't, I'm, I'm glad they played a season. I think everybody's glad that they got to play some games, but it just didn't feel like a, you know, it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Uh, and I think next year it'll be like that. Now we still have some guys out. Perhaps it's hard well, to project eight months from now how things will be, but I do feel like it's going to be a a much more true season in twenty twenty one. Things were so weird, like rivalry games weren't on the same week that they typically are. Yeah. It just the schedule was just all messed up, and then when it when it overlapped with with basketball and NBA and everything, it was it was kind of hard to follow it the way you typically would follow it. So I'm hoping for a normal season next year, but no, this Mark Stoops has to be happy uh, this morning. Darren Kennard. Uh, Derek, when you know, usually when they call a press conference like that, it's usually not to say, "Hey, I'm coming back." It's usually to say, "Hey, I'm leaving," especially on the basketball yeah. side. So, <laughs> uh, getting getting that was big news for Kentucky, and you know, hopefully, every one of these kids should know too that uh, he's most likely going to be be playing left tackle next year. So that that will be a change even for him. I mean, I think he's certainly certainly talented enough to do it, but you know, it'll, he's been a mainstay pretty much at right tackle. For yeah. most of his career, I think he played a little left tackle actually as his freshman year before Landon Young got back. So because of that, I mean, that, that's a got to be a good feeling though for Liam Cohen, for Eric Wolford, the new offensive line coach. Fern's got to get down. Uh, <laughs> Cats messing with things again. So you know, Wolford uh, to have a guy like that coming back, you don't have to be so. I guess uncertain. I mean, you don't have to put a, either a. I would say it's got to be Nasir Watkins who has some experience, but is not um, nowhere near as talented. I would say that's a guy like Darian Kennard. So really, I think just the whole outlook for how you would anticipate this offseason going is is changed. But even then, Sean, I mean, there's still you have guys out there like Quentin Bohanna, Jamin Davis. I heard Cedric Dort might be a guy who's making a decision. Not, I don't know if that's an NFL type decision or if somebody who. He's already graduated. Maybe he'll want to go somewhere else. You just never know what some of these situations are. But Kentucky still hasn't added any more transfers outside of Justice Daniel, and I think the expectation is that they're going to add a few. So I still don't think we're at a point where this roster is set in stone yet. There's going to be transfers both in and out. So that'll be something we'll keep tracking. But maybe by spring ball around that time, we'll have a pretty good idea of of what this team might look like. And I'm assuming wide receiver position will still be a target for the transfer portal. I would think so, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's I, what I don't I'm know thinking. any like names specifically, but you know they 
I think more than any other position in terms of attrition, I, I just think there's going to be a lot of movement in that room, guys transferring out, maybe some guys graduating early, uh, things like that. Like, I, I think uh, – I was talking about this with Kalen. Like, I just think that uh, – I just think the offense could look so different next year. Like the guys that we watched play and uh, that position being one, I, I think Ali knows that he's had a spot locked in. But besides that, I don't know that anybody in there should feel good enough. Maybe Alan Daly to some extent because he's played a lot. But I would say those positions are up for grabs. Playing time's going to be there for the taking. Uh, Justin Rigg too, returning. I don't that's think right, we did. Yeah. Did we mention Justin Rigg? I mean, that's, no, we didn't. Uh, he was the game I was missing on the list. Any time that you can add depth at any position, Derek, it's big. And that's that's a position where they have some depth. And that's the thing that really stands out to me kind of across the board with this is the depth that, they have, that they've that they built up at some of these positions, especially inside linebacker over the years. You know, I heard you and Kalen talked about this with Jamin Davis and then Chris Oates not playing this past season uh, with that undisclosed medical condition. It kind of shows the depth that they built at some yeah. spots with the, with the talent. Uh, Jamin's obviously a huge decision. Because that's that's an all-SEC guy if he returns. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he would have the same kind of, like, like, I don't think he'd be Josh Allen, basically. I don't see him being a top-ten pick if he comes back. But I do think he stands to gain a lot of, of ground. I don't know. I think he's projected, like, I think he would get picked, but maybe not in a spot where he would feel super comfortable or he would end it, up. And I think he could go to a spot next year where he would make a lot more money. At the start and another good season on tape, I think he could. I think he stands to gain a lot by coming back. He, so, is he one of these guys where he probably shouldn't strike while it's hot because he, there's still some potential there for him, right? I think what UK goes by is if you're not top three rounds, you should probably strongly consider coming back. And I don't yeah. think he's in that top three round mix right now, but could be with another year. And one more guy I wanted to mention was Quandre Mosley. Yeah. Because I think that one might go under the radar. He was a it's Jugo guy. Too. Yeah, he, so he was a Jugo guy who kind of was forced to play in 2019. I know he had a rough game. I think against Florida he had to get in there once Corker got ejected. Uh, but he had that pick against Mississippi State, and he didn't really play a ton this year, but he had started to play some more corner. And I really like that addition of him coming back uh, to be here a third year in the program and can do a little bit of everything for you. Like I just think that's a really nice piece to have in the secondary for another season. I agree with that 100%. That's one that has kind of flown under the radar, uh, given names like Josh Pascal, Darian mm-hmm. Kennard. Uh, Luke Fortner coming back, too, is just huge. And, you know, Darian actually oh, yeah. breaking that this morning <laughs> during his yeah, during well, his press he conference. Did. He's like, yeah, I can I can tell you all this. So that that's big. And then, I mean, with a guy like Luke, and a, I mean, here's the thing, too, Derek. Josh Pascal and uh, Luke Fortner are two of the guys that speak up for the team. On one on each side of the ball. That's huge to have back in your locker room. It, it absolutely is. I mean, they're going to be a, a pretty old team next year. I was, I'm actually on the depth chart page now because I was starting to work on that. And I mean, let's say if Davis comes back, like you have all, they played five inside linebackers this year, and all five of those guys would be back next season. Devontae Robinson and Vito Tisdale, like both those guys play nickel. They're back. Um, at corner, I mean, you can already start to kind of pencil in Carrington Valentine as a starter because he started playing more, started the bowl game. So that defense, I think Brad White's got a really good group next year that he could be excited about. Got to find a better pass rush. Um, we've got to see how long it's going to take J.J. Weaver to get back from his ACL surgery. But that that's the unit that, you know, if the offense next year is going to take some time, we'll see. I mean, maybe they'll flicker off the bat. Who knows? 
but I, I think they can lean on that defense next year. And uh, I think it's going to stay that way. I mean, if you're, if you're looking forward, like after 2021, it seems like they're going to lose a lot of pieces. But it seems like every year, though, Sean, someone by the time the year's over steps up and leaves you kind of a reason to be excited for the next season. So we'll see what kind of depth uh, depth pieces that is this year. Those kids who can yeah. do that. But um, they'll have a deep, experienced team next year. Um, we'll have all off season to kind of talk about expectations and things like that. So still some moves to be made, I think. Some guys still got to decide. And um, I'll, I'll be really curious to kind of see how that roster looks. Um, come summer, come June or so, when we pretty much know who's going to be here and who's not. Yeah, that pretty much covers it on the football side. Before we get into basketball, I want to give a shout-out to the Butcher's Pub with two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Uh, get out to the Butcher's Pub. Uh, you can visit thebutcherspub.com, or you can check out either Facebook page. One is the Butcher's Pub Pineville, and the other is the Butcher's Pub Williamsburg. Uh, Derek, going to throw out some numbers to you on the basketball side that's probably going to shock you and blow your mind here. So just going off team statistics, comparing Kentucky versus their opponents, how surprised would you be if I told you that Kentucky is shooting a better percentage from the field and from the three-point line than their opponents this season? Very surprised. And it's not like it's a huge margin, but still surprising. So Kentucky is shooting 41.5%. And the opponents are shooting 40.6. And from the three-point line, 29.1 and 28% for the opponents. Pretty wow. surprising, right? That is. That is. I mean, I would have thought. I mean, it's the only thing we talked about this year is that they can't make shots. <laughs> you know. But turnovers. They're Dante Allen got in there and helped out that percentage, didn't he? How crazy is it, though, that he went from towards the bottom to number two and made three-pointers. That just shows you how, how wild it has been this season uh, that they just cannot hit shots, which reflect their poor assist-to-turnover ratio because how can you get assists if guys can't hit shots? Yeah, I mean, how many guys on this team are shooting under 40%? Under 40 from the field? Yeah. Uh, B.J. Boston... Right. B.J. Boston, 36%. Davion Mintz, 37%. And that is it. Everybody else is at least 41. Yeah, and those two have taken a decent amount of shots. They might lead the team in shots, right? Uh, Boston, I mean, not, Boston, Boston has taken sure. – Yeah, Boston's taken 111 shots. And Mintz is 69. Clark is at 72 with second most. Okay. Well, that would make sense then. Uh because I, I doubt what's Clark's three-point percentage. It's pretty bad, too, right? 22. <laughs> 22, yeah. Dante so. Allen is now scorching 52, almost 53%. I mean, it took one game for him to be the unquestioned like best shooter on this team because uh, he'd made threes in some other games, too. I mean, I know he didn't do yeah. much in those other games, but he had at least made some threes when he got in there. So, uh, but yeah, right, what, what do you think? Go ahead, go ahead. No, well, what, what I was going to say while I was looking at this, there's one name that stands out to me who has improved the most. This season. You know who Askew. it is? Devin Askew. When you yeah. look at his stat line, Derek, there's a reason he's going to end up leading Kentucky in minutes played by the end of the year. He will be a guy that will play when it gets down to trying to fight for a postseason spot. He's going to play out of 40 minutes. He'll be one that plays 38. Just because I think he's doing so many things well that they can't take him off the floor. Uh, his assist to turnover ratio, what you know, that was a big talking point early in the year. What You can't have a point guard 
who has more turnovers than assists. It's now a positive. It's 22 assists to 19 turnovers. Uh, everything keeps climbing for him, and I just think confidence is growing. Uh, Joel Justice, you know, I talked about him running out on the floor and and uh, you know celebrating with him the other night after a couple of good plays. I was told that Devin's a kid that took it really hard, the struggles. So I think that's something that you're seeing confidence build. And honestly, Derek, uh, from the media session this morning, it's a guy who said he was different leading up to getting to Kentucky. And we kind of, you know, put all these West Coast kids into the same category that they get homesick when things get get hard and they want to go back home, which is normal. But Devin Askew told us that he's different. And so far he has been. Yeah, and I think a good thing for him, too, versus uh, Jamal Baker and Johnny Juzang is he is even, like, the fewest minutes he's played this year is 22. So, like, he's he's played a big role in this team, even whenever he was demoted or, or whatever we want to call it. Uh, but you're right. I just wrote a story on him this morning, and I think since the Notre Dame game, he has got a 13 assist to 7 turnover ratio. He's playing really good defense. His still numbers are there, but also whenever you just watch him play, he's on the ball. He does a very good job. He is improving. Um, he's someone who admitted that him being taken off the ball has has helped him yeah. uh, relax a little bit. And not, so it was a good coaching move by Cal. You want to give him credit there that even if they didn't really find an answer, I don't. I mean, Mintz, Mintz stepped up there for a while, but Clark wasn't necessarily the answer at uh, well, at shoot or at point guard. But I you know he's back in a spot now that you're right. And he, he when I talk about the eye test too, I use that word a lot. But just like whenever you watch somebody, like you can tell from him that he's gotten more comfortable. I think he's taken some more shots that he was passing up earlier in the year. And I, I do think that comes back to confidence. The the play that he made in transition, the bounce pass to Mintz the other day, and Mintz finished the layup, I thought that was one of the best plays. He also had a beautiful find uh, with the, to Dante Island in transition. I ended up getting credited with seven assists after corrections. Derek, I think for that game, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Lance Ware surprised. Yeah, Lance Ware had four assists in that game, so th- there's a lot of positive things right now going on with this UK team. Like I said the other day, they just needed wins, and they got the first one, and now they can see. We'll see if they'll build on it Tuesday night. Uh, but there's a lot of guys playing very well now. You just got to drag BJ Boston along. Uh, Terrence Clark is the question mark for me right now because Derek, I, I'm starting to wonder how how much the ankle was bothering him after Georgia Tech. Because he did play well against Georgia Tech, but there's been that ankle injury ever since that game. Leading up to the Notre Dame game, there were questions about an ankle injury, and he played in that game. So I'm still holding out that Terrence Clark's going to be pretty good this season, just because what we saw against Georgia Tech, he was really good that day. But the ankle injury has kind of been the storyline for the last three to four weeks. Yeah, I wouldn't rush him back. By any no. means, especially especially if you can count on Dante giving you some good minutes, and you know it doesn't have to be Dante scoring twenty three. I don't. He might not score that much again this year. Well, but. you know the the crazy thing is, Derek. I watched all his shots, and even the ones he missed were halfway down. I mean, just he's it, such a quick release when yeah. he lets it go. I mean, no waste of movement on his no. shot. That's what I was telling somebody. Um, a buddy of mine was texting me yesterday. And we were talking about it, and I told him that he's – I think Allen's the kind of guy that, like, 
if they keep him around until his junior year and he's playing big minutes, like he could average over 20 points per game. He could. Because, like, I mean, he put in 23 the other night. It just seemed easy to me, you know. I mean, he hit well, seven threes, and maybe you can't count on that every night. But, like, it's not like he did anything that makes you think, like, he could never do it again. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the kid's just a natural score. I know he didn't play against good teams in high school, but when you average over 40 points per game and you're billed as a shooter when you get to college and you actually come in the games and you make shots, that tells me he can play on offense. I mean, he can well, help this team make exactly. shots. Exactly. Well, I'm going to tell you this, too. I watched him. I watched the game again last night on TV, and the thing that I was watching with Dante was his movement off the ball. How does he get himself open? You know, obviously they set screens for him, but you've got to have an offensive IQ and awareness to understand how to take what the defender's giving you in situations, especially coming off those pin downs and everything. And, you know, we talked about on this show that there was some rumblings and stuff coming out that maybe his basketball IQ was on the lower level starting out at Kentucky. But, Derek, what I saw Saturday night from him is his the the fake jab and pull, the the final 1-3 to hit there, that was was understanding how to make a play and getting creative. And that was a high basketball IQ play. I mean, to, to do that and have the body control to pull it, the quick release helps him get shots off where he may be lacking speed or quickness. That is the biggest takeaway, and that's how I think Dante Allen, plus his length helps too. Taller, longer. It does. He doesn't get a ton of lift on a shot. It's almost like a set shot when he shoots it. But that's I, I kind of think that that helps him get his shot off a lot quicker. I, I agree. And, you know, with Dante, it's just, how much do you think – I've kind of gone back and forth on this. So do you think him being on tape now, teams that, that are going to be scouting Kentucky will at least have to be aware of him. But I kind of feel like the whole thing with Dante anyway, in terms of team scouting, maybe they just didn't expect many minutes from him. But, like, shouldn't the rep have always been that, hey, like, if this kid's in the game, you got to look for him to shoot because it's his one responsibility. When he's like, So how much do you think it changes now that – these other teams scouting Kentucky will, will will have to account for what Dante can potentially it, do if he's on. It makes Kentucky much more difficult to prepare for because now you've got to pay attention to something. You can't just pack the paint. You can't just run a double team at SAR. Mm-hmm. You've got it opens the floor for everyone. You saw that happen late in the game. The final twenty minutes, the final ten minutes of regulation and the ten minutes of overtime, Kentucky ran better offense than they'd ran all season. And it was all because the floor opened up. Olivier Sar was able to get to his face up game. Uh, Devin Askey was able to get to the to the to the middle of the floor, uh, the floater he hit there late in the game. I mean, it spaces the floor out when you have a, a sniper out there who can pull it at any time. And the biggest thing too for me is it changes them in transition. Is you got to be aware of a guy, you got to be able to stay attached in transition. And you saw Dante hit the three that put him ahead. Off, the, it was kind of a chaotic situation where Dante was back defending. Mississippi State throws a shot up at the rim, then it kind of turned it over, and then Dante comes out and Mintz finds him, and then boom, hits a three to put him up. Those are the those are the ways that he changes the game, Derek, is because it just opens up not only in the half court, it opens them up in transition, and I think that every single player on the roster will benefit. I, I think he's a guy that has to play 20-plus minutes a game moving forward, given Kentucky's shooting woes. Now, he did. There were a couple of defensive mistakes he made that he got bailed out on. There was a backdoor cut that Mississippi State actually just threw a bad pass and it hit the rim. It should have been a dunk. There were a couple of times he got lost, but overall his defensive game, here's the deal. I don't think he's bad enough on the defensive end that you can't play him, even if he's not making shots. I feel like just having him out there opens the floor because let's say he's 0-4, you're still going to go cover him on the fifth attempt. 
Well, he's not going to get any better on defensively if he just stays on the bench the whole time anyway. I just feel like he's someone who really needs the minutes. And you're going to have to just live with the mistakes. Like, he's going to get scored on probably. <laughs> I think if he's not a very good defender, you got to expect that. But I guarantee, you know, he didn't get outscored, though. I mean, he put up 23. They, no. they didn't, Mississippi yeah. State didn't outscore him. So, and I mean, that's if he's the in there and – yeah. At some point when, when Derek Willis played at Kentucky, it became a he had to be on the floor because they had to have his ability to stretch the floor, even though he would give up some things on the defensive end. I don't necessarily think that Dante is just going to be somebody that's going to be abused on the defensive end of the floor. I think that he's going to put himself in positions. I think he understands how to play. And here's the next thing about it, Derek. If that's what it comes down to, he's going to try to value that into the floor and make sure he's doing – at least something beneficial to be able to stay on the floor to get those shots on the offensive end. Right now it's more important for Dante Allen to get scored on than it is for Dante Allen to be sitting on the bench because right. they need him on the floor because it it changes everything. And I'm still going to say if Bruiser Flint hadn't have been on the sideline, I think that Dante would have been on the bench because I'm telling you, Cal was going to roll with B.J. Boston after he challenged him, and Bruiser Flint said that's not the best thing tonight. It might be the best thing versus Vandy, but the best thing Saturday night was to put Dante Allen in the game and just let him do his thing. Think about this. There was a play, and I actually this moment stood out to me. It was the moment Dante lost sight of his man and got back cut. Ball flies off the rim. He, he gets it. They're coming down the floor, and Dante pulls a three with 25 seconds on the shot clock and a defender standing in front of him, and it's right in front of John Calipari. Had he missed that shot? You know where Dante Allen was going to be sitting the rest of the game? <laughs> on the bench. And he drained it. And you just kind of see Cal's reaction. And then from that point on, it was all Dante Allen. That was the that was Pendleton County High School Dante Allen just sizing you up and pulling it from about 23, 24 feet. That, that was the one that got him going. So, I'll ask you this. Does Dante start? against Vanderbilt tomorrow night? And if not, how quickly does he come off the bench? If, if we want to talk about and I think Kyle Tucker was the one who wrote this, and I thought it was a good point. Like, if you want to talk about you know, demonstrated performance or whatever you say, talk about things being earned, I, I don't know. I, one, I don't know how much it really matters to start, but I do think it would send a message, though, to some other guys if Dante was in the lineup. Uh, I th- I think I think you bring him off the bench just because not for anything with you know starting someone over someone else or making a statement to BJ Boss and these other guys that have struggled, but let Dante continue being who he is. You know, let him keep carving out a path. I mean, he's a kid that you know Derek came off the bench there not and end up playing thirty two minutes. Uh, who's to say he doesn't do the same thing Tuesday night? Now, if he goes out and has another good game Tuesday night and just keeps performing, then I think you get to a point to where you slot him into the starting lineup. But one game, don't it, you still think that, like in Cal's mind, I just I feel like in Cal's mind, his number one priority right now is probably getting BJ Boston going. It is. It just feels like it's probably what it is to me. And and you know and honestly. Rightfully so, because I still feel like if Kentucky's ever going to be the elite team we thought they were going to be, B.J. Boston has to be who we thought he was going to be. He can't be who he is right now. But having Dante Allen contribute and do the things that he's doing, it makes you better. 
I mean, they're, they're better with Dante Allen being good than what they'd be if Dante Allen wasn't an option, right. which is the crazy thing. I, I think there's there's a lot of guys on this team that deserve to play right now. B.J. Boston still deserves to play because I, I still think that i got to stop saying this because at some point it's just going to be what it is and he's not going to be very good. I, I don't know. Like I'm very – it's just – I'm puzzled with what's going on with this game right now. I've never seen a kid miss as many good shots as he has. Like it just yeah. it blows my mind. It, it's he takes some bad shots, but there's been a lot of good ones that he had. The, the play the the pick and pop that asked you the set call there early in the second half where he fired it over to BJ and BJ hit a little 15 footer. That was one of the best shots he's made at Kentucky, and that's the shot he's supposed to hit. But his mid range jumper looks worse than his three point jumper. That, that I, it just it blows my mind how bad he's been because that's not what he did in high school. I promise you, it's not. At least when I watched him, it wasn't. I mean, it is pretty befuddling. Um, he's going to be the MVP of the SEC tournament. You watch and see something crazy. He's just going to blow up right at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just keep talking about that balance. I mean, I think Cal's got a balancing act right now. If you get the elite version of BJ Boston, whatever that may be, I don't think he's shown it at all. Honestly, not even really spurts. <laughs> then this team could be really, really good. But at a certain point, like when do you stop letting a kid try to figure it out? If someone like that's the thing, Allen's going to do this more. I would say like, this it can't be like a one hit wonder. I, I just want to no. I want to see the kind of leash that Cal gives him. Like if he has a game where he starts off one for five from three, maybe gives up a few buckets. Does Cal leave him in? Does he take him out? Does he let him work through it? Like how does he treat? Because he says some kids have the space to, to miss shots. Like, where is Dante now in that mix? Because clearly Dante was like the 10th man prior to Mississippi State. So now what kind of leash does he get? Does that make sense? It does. It absolutely makes sense. I, and I will tell you this. If we're talking about whose minutes get, get taken away out of this, I mean, we have to think about this. Terrence Clark did not play Saturday. So there's going to be minutes for Terrence Clark. We still have no idea what's going on with Keon Brooks. When Keon Brooks returns, he's going to play. It's getting kind of crowded, and there's a lot of guys that I think Lance Ware has moved to the position where he's going to play. I, you saw that Saturday. Let, let him in rebounding. Lance Ware is a guy that's going to be playing from now till the end of the season. He has to keep getting minutes. you got to keep playing all those bigs, Olivier Saar, Isaiah Jackson. The perimeter is getting very crowded. If Terrence Clark comes back and does his thing, you know, B.J. Boston, Cal's going to keep force-feeding that, but I do think that the minutes are going to come from Boston's. I just feel like of the two, Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark impacts the game in more ways than one. And I think that's going to be the thing that separates. B.J. Boston impacts the game when he hits shots. And right now he's not hitting shots. Dante Allen is. I think that minutes have to be taken from Boston and given to Allen at this point. And at some point you hope that B.J. Boston can contribute and make shots. But right now it's not. that's not it. And if Kentucky wants to keep moving forward, Eric, you've got to take something from him right now. You cannot keep shooting the percentage he is and taking no, the shots that he is. They they lose that game Saturday if B.J. Boston takes seven or eight shots down the stretch. Just the way he's shooting the ball because it's pretty much turnovers because it's an empty possession. I agree with you. I just I just I don't see it happening. I mean, I, well, just, I, I didn't, I didn't not see it happening. <laughs> yeah, I did. Saying, I, saying I, what know, should he, happen he, and... He, he, I tell you, the guy who's going to be the odd man out, it's going to be Davion Mintz because he's a senior and doesn't have an NBA future, and these other guys who are playing might. And uh, Mintz has Eric, a couple we, more performances like Mississippi State, and I'm telling you, he, he's going to see his minutes go down. 
Derek, we got a review on Kentucky Daily and it was talking about how brutally honest that we are, and that's what makes us good. And uh, we're brutally honest. And right now, I'm here to tell you, BJ Boston has to lose minutes. And you have if you're going to do the, the whole frame that if you're going to do the whole, you have to earn things. What does BJ Boston earn right now? Five star ranking in high school. Well, and, and I'm not and here. I and I will tell you this: great kid, great energy on the bench the other day. Amazing sign was he was happy for Dante and he was up going crazy with the rest of the team. If he had been easily could have sitting there on the bench and kind of sulked over not being in the game in that moment, but he wasn't, and that's a positive. Let me ask you this: you're talking about crowded minutes, things like that. Uh, does, does Cameron Fletcher get a chance again this season? I don't think he does. I, not at that position, because what you've had now is you've had Jacob Toppin show that he can make some plays. He he had a, he had a big basket there in overtime off the offensive rebound and stuff. And and I think that his his performance is kind of kind of going to be up and down. You ride the hot hand when he's when he's hot like he was against Louisville, but then you kind of you know limit it a little bit if he's uh, Lance Ware was the guy on Saturday. It was Jacob Toppin against Louisville, so. I just think that you're getting crowded all across this roster. If Keon Brooks ever comes back, it gets even more crowded. But the good news is, Derek, a lot of these guys have got opportunities. They've got experience. They've gotten to play. Now it's about coming back next year and taking a step forward. That's the big thing that's come from these struggles, in my opinion, is Kentucky has played everyone. Everyone kind of has something to feel good about, in my opinion, out of the guys that I expect to return. And I think that's enough to keep everybody happy and get them back at Kentucky next year, unless somebody decides to make a decision and transfer or you know something else happens. But right now, I just think Dante Allen he's got to play twenty plus against Vandy. You gotta you gotta see if that's a one hit wonder or if there's something there because there's a thing about there's a thing about this game. You can hedge ball screens, you can rebound, you can make plays, but there's one thing you got to do to win. You got to put the ball in the basket, and that's what he does. I just think for the team, too, how confident they must be whenever they see him get the ball and, and put up a shot. Did you see him you know, on what's the bench? They were losing their yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't even out of his hands yet, and guys were almost on the floor. I'm telling you, they're close to, if anything, if Cal wants to get the fan base back and on his side or whatever, and he, maybe he doesn't give a damn. I mean, Cal might not care. I don't know. But... Like, Dante's the way to do it. I had somebody text me yesterday and tell me that that was their favorite U.K. sports moment since, uh, I think he said 2017, something like that, for U.K. basketball. I think he had a certain fragment of the fan base who was just kind of done with how things are going. And then Dante yeah. Allen, the kid from Kentucky, comes in and kind of rejuvenates this season. You're right. Um, you ride the Kentucky I, kid. You said something it, I thought was a good point. Like, uh, you're talking about guys feeling good for next year. Like, if you only lose Clark and Boston off this team, and maybe Jackson goes, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of ball left to see. I'm talking about in terms of, you know, just young guys. Just obviously, no, uh, Sar and Mintz are going to be gone. Like, you're not too far off from I think having people really excited about next year's team and what they could be. Yeah, and what I think uh, you had dominoes. But, but I think Allen's a big part of that. Think about this, man. If Clark and Boston leave and they don't get Jaden Hardy. Uh, they don't get Hunter Salas. Like Dante Allen's pretty close to probably being in the starting lineup next year, or at least yeah. potentially has a chance well, to. He, he'll have a I, chance to earn his spot. 
And I think the dom- the dominoes started falling last night too for the future of the program for next year's roster and 22. Jaden Bradley getting an offer, Derek. I think what that tells me is uh, it slides Sky Clark to 21 and Bradley in 22 is what I think happens with that. So looking at next year's so, roster. So do you think Hickman, Clark, Askew, and Allen is enough in the backcourt? Yeah, I do. The 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 strides that Askew is making now – Devin Askew has a very bright future at Kentucky. Whether that be two years, three years, four years, I think that he is going to be a guy that we kind of look at who takes that step forward like some guys have in the past. Not saying he's going to be SEC Player of the Year or a P.J. Washington type or Emmanuel Quickly type forward, but moving forward, I think that that's going to be a very good player that is the talking point of a team going into next season is Devin Askew. And then you put Sky Clark in that backcourt who can score and create shots and create shots for others, Nolan Hickman, and then, of course, Dante Allen. When you've got a three-point stroke like that, you're you're going to make an impact. And I, I think that I'm starting to feel a lot more confident about what they're going to have in the backcourt if it all plays out. We know how fragile this thing is in college basketball and the college game now with the transfer portal. So everything kind of has to play out and work out. But I'm starting to feel better I, but about. But I think what you're saying, like, like you can seriously look at every single guy on this roster and, and like see some ways that they contributed and ways that they shouldn't be. I mean, Fletcher more than anybody would probably be the guy you'd look at as being unhappy, and of course Allen until Mississippi State. But like, I'm thinking they don't need to add a whole lot more if they can get these guys they to don't. come back. So, the only thing that they would need to add is if they maybe another big. Yes, if that would be the thing that I was going to say. They need to go get a back-to-the-basket score is what I would go get. Someone who – because I don't think that that's ever going to be Isaiah Jackson's game. Who knows if he even comes back. I'm just saying if he is, that's not his game. Lance Ware, I don't know. I think his impact is going to be more just just goes and gets the makes the dirty plays. You know, you're seeing it now. Rebound his tail off, fight for offensive rebounds be in the right position at all times, be an, uh, be an excellent screener. That's his impact. Go get a back-to-the-basket big. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. You're going to have a shot blocker in Collins. If Jackson comes back, oh, boy, that's uh, that's exciting. And then, two, you have pieces on this roster. If Jacob Toppin comes back and Keon Brooks comes back, you have guys that can kind of slide and play two or three spots. I think you can play Toppin at the three. You can play him at the four. Keon can play on the perimeter. He could slide to play the four. I'm really starting to like what next year's roster could look like if it all works out. And now that Dante Allen has shown that he has a place in this program, I like it even more because you've you've got a kid there, Derek, that whether whether or not whatever the game plan is, you always have, when there's a shooter, you always identify it on the dry race board before you take the floor. You identify it on film and in the pregame walkthrough. Shooters change the game of basketball. They do. I mean, seems like we spend a lot of time talking about next year, pretty much every basketball episode we do. But they're, they're not far off, I don't think. I mean, assuming Keon, if he comes back, Toppin's going to be back. Done. I don't think Ware's going to go anywhere. I mean... I was wrong. You have a, a lot of guys. Ago. Yeah, well, this thing changes a lot. We might be back to that point before. Uh, <laughs> well, before the year's over. But. but in in fairness to us and to everyone, after they lost to Louisville, it didn't look like they had much of a pulse, Derek. 
when it came no. to being an NCAA tournament team. And maybe it all falls apart tomorrow night at Vandy, and Vandy beats them by 40. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I have changed my stance on whether or not I think this team can make the NCAA tournament. I obviously think they can. Uh, Tennessee losing to Alabama, Kentucky starting off on a positive note, just shows me that kind of anything can happen in this league right now. And it's a new season. I think Cal's right. They're one and zero. You kind of forget. It's it's not going to go away, but mentally you've got to get those kids away from the one and six part. Right now you're one and zero. Win another one, you're two and zero. Then you're feeling good about yourself. There's going to be lows though. I do want to say that Kentucky is going to have moments where we sit here on this podcast and go, okay, this team, if that's who they are today, ugh, I don't know what they can do moving forward. There's going to be games that you're, there's going to be head scratching moments. They're going to lose games, and we're going to all sit here and think the world's falling apart. But I'm kind of looking at just the overall picture of this thing, and so many guys are starting to be the better version of themselves. What you need now is you need your best to be their best, and that's what Kentucky's been missing. Next next Tuesday night about midnight after they play yeah. Alabama, you, you'll have a much better idea where this team stands because yeah. you got Vanderbilt tomorrow, you got Florida on Saturday, a road game at Florida, and then you play an Alabama team that's going to be feeling – if they went on the road to Tennessee and won there, they're going to have no problem thinking they can come into Rupp Arena and beat a, a Kentucky team that everybody perceives to be down. So if this team can find a way to to look good the next week, I think everybody will be back on board. And I, you feel like, I feel like they need to win, to win at least one of those games Saturday and then next Tuesday. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume they probably beat – I would just be pretty surprised if they lose to Vanderbilt at home. So – those are two big games. We'll be able to preview those more uh, moving forward. But I think, uh, like I said, I think we'll just have a better idea a week from now how how, how these guys are coming along. Yeah. Because those are going to be some tough games. Yep, we will. And we'll get into that. Obviously, Kentucky returns to action Tuesday night versus Vanderbilt. Uh, looking to move the 2-0 and in SEC, Derek. We'll be there to kind of recap everything and then whatever happens between now and tomorrow leading up to that game. This has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.